Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, fellow awareness explorers. Good to have you back. And there's always so much going on inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves. We're honored that you take the time to listen to us blab about just the most important things in life, how to find peace, how to find love, and how to avoid the numerous potholes on that path. I'm with my fellow co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor and Cosmic Compadre, and I'm Jonathan Robinson, and the topic today is Endarkenment versus Enlightenment, the freedom that comes from not trying to be so spiritual all the time, and some great methods and ideas around that. And when I use this term, Endarkenment, Brian, what shows up in your brain? Well... First of all, relief when you said not trying to be so spiritual all the time. That's the first thing. I really think that this idea that somehow we have to behave in a certain way or be a certain type of person or even achieve some sort of state is all just stuff in the way of seeing our true nature as happiness right now in this moment. Absolutely. And I think we're starting to see through this. We have that term spiritual bypassing. But for me, I've done some workshops on this thing called endarkenment. And it used to be in the 60s, people would have encounter groups where they'd let it all hang out. They'd be with you know, a group of people for three days in a room and it would start out all nice and loving. And by the end, it was like, screw you and you're a jerk and you know all that. And <laughs> what, what I liked about that idea or format was that uh, it got beyond the veneer and, and, you know, only if you're real, are you really in a place of authenticity and spirituality, as far as I'm concerned, and awakening that all the false ways we pretend to be spiritual or better than we are, just keeps us from seeing how much we have to clean out before we can be really present. And so I have some ideas about how to how to approach endarkenment as a path to enlightenment. But before I say some of my ideas, what, what ideas might you have along those lines? Well, hearing you talk about the encounter group and letting it all hang out, I certainly remember those. I was in a few of those myself. and But it makes me think that, you know, there's not just two options, either expression of your emotions or suppression of your emotions. Those aren't the only two. I mean, we think, okay, I'm going to be authentic and not suppress my emotions. So what I'm going to do is spray them onto everybody else. That doesn't seem to me the option. It's really about internally, whether you're allowing them, whether you're dropping the strategies that you've built up to not have the emotions. And I think that's far more important than just finding some way to express to everyone else what you're feeling. 
Yeah, and when we express, I like how you put it that there's not just, you know, blindly expressing or suppressing, there's saying honestly where you're at in a vulnerable way. You know, I'm in a current situation with a relationship that is very important to me. And I found myself kind of like not saying my needs, trying to be more spiritual than I am, being less needy than I am. And it created problems. So now I'm trying to do the other, which is, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I need. It involves some expression of, I'm, I'm terrible expressing anger, but, you know, I have tried to, to say, this is what I'm feeling now. Or, and it's really, to me, I feel like, and other people who know me say, well, that's my stretch into spirituality and growth. It's not pretending that I'm totally peaceful when I'm not and trying to be totally giving. And it's a tricky road because for some people, that's their stretch. And you have to be honest with yourself and know what is hard for you to do. And if it's hard for you to say your lowly, so-called lowly desires and needs, then that's the biggest stretch you can do into awakening in that moment. And that's a distinction which I think a lot of people in the awakening and spirituality camp don't necessarily uh, consider enough. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the key word that you mentioned during that was pretending. When we pretend to be different from how we are because we think we're spiritual, that's really the essence of spiritual bypassing. When we're pretending that we're too spiritual to have this human emotion, which is actually present right now, uh, and we're denying it and, 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 and we're uh, not owning up to it and we're not letting people know what our needs are. And we're not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. I think that's the other key right there. So I think it's it's all right. It's just as long as when we're expressing anger, we're really expressing it in terms of what is happening to us. Because the temptation when expressing anger is to begin with an accusation. I'm really just telling all... you the truth about how I feel. You shouldn't do this. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> and that's just... My honest expression of how I feel, you should be different. And that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Really, all anger is uh, a cover-up for either hurt or fear. So it's really more honest to express it in terms of those emotions, but to say, I am angry, and what I'm, what it brings up is I'm fear of losing something or feeling hurt that I didn't get something. But sometimes in darkness involves just saying what's going on with you from where you're at. And, and that can be scary. You know, a, a technique I use to help me with this is sometimes when I'm trying to get clear on what the right move is, I say a sentence that helps me point me towards authenticity. And that is, if I had no fear or no inhibitions, in this situation, I would say or do blank. So in a relationship, if I had no fear or inhibitions, I'd say blank. If I had no fear or inhibitions in my work situation, 
I would say or do blank. And that points us to what's real. And I think Jesus said the truth will set you free. And I agree that we always have to go back to what is, even if what is does not fit our model of what's pretty. Absolutely. In fact, I really think that if people only took away that from this episode, it would be immensely valuable. Yeah. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I've seen that when I get into arguments with somebody, which is very, very rare, I'm not an argumentative kind of person, but, you know, when I've been mad and argue with somebody, sometimes these little truths come out. And marriage counselors will often say that arguing can be really good because some things that aren't expressed finally come out. And there's a certain relief when you kind of know the score of what's really going on. You know, with animals, as you watch them, they don't hide, they don't pretend, you know, they are who they are. And that's one of the things we most love about them is that there's no pretense there. And in that way, there are teachers as well. You know, if my if my dog doesn't want to play, he he doesn't pretend. You know, if I try to grab a bone from him, he goes, well, you know, your hand's at stake, buddy. You know, so it's really clear and really free because he doesn't have a concept of what would be spiritual or good. And I've noticed that when I've done therapy with more Catholics and Jews than other groups, and I'm Jewish, and I believe you're Catholic, aren't you? Not anymore. Oh, yeah, but you were born into Catholicism. That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I went to Catholic school, and my parents ah. were Catholic, and all of that stuff, but um, I don't identify that way anymore. Yeah, and I don't identify as Jewish currently, but I saw that when I would do therapy with people with that upbringing, often they were brought up with a lot of guilt as to what was right and wrong behavior. Yes. And eventually I got to see and tell people that in order to know what was a good growth step for them, I would always tell them to follow their guilt. So <laughs> if, if, Making them feel, if they felt guilty telling somebody what they really thought of them, I thought, well, that was probably a good idea. If they felt guilty saying what their needs were, uh, I would say, well, that's probably a good GPS for you is follow your guilt. Now, that's not true for everyone, but it shows how sometimes going towards what you think is guilty or wrong behavior is actually a step in the right direction from another point of view. Yeah, it certainly can be, uh, especially if you're the type of person who um, suppresses your own emotions and or desires, uh, or if you're a people pleaser or that type of person. Obviously, there's the opposite type of person for whom this yeah. would be like a really bad idea. <laughs> But we're talking about um, violent people, murdering people, uh, you know, uh, criminals, uh, etc. But I think for most of us, guilt is not the truth. Yeah, right. So I've done some workshops in which a safe container was created. 
to explore this idea of endarkenment, meaning being free to be your whole self or all the different selves in you without having this like spiritual governor on you, <laughs> keeping you from being more your full self. And these workshops have been very high energy and very fun, believe it or not. But you have to create a safe container. I remember one of them uh, that the woman had everybody pretend to be like St. Francis. And it was very sweet for about 10 minutes. And then it was like, just kind of dull and lifeless and felt false. So that was interesting. And we, and we did it for like an hour, but the last 50 minutes were, you know, Oh, you're lovely. Or thank you. I'm so grateful. But all, it all had a ring that did not have truth and energy in it. Mm -hmm. And then she said, choose somebody who you feel is, if anything, lets it all hang out. You know, if it could be anywhere from Hitler to your neighbor to, you know, uh, some media celebrity. And you didn't have to say who it was, but we were interacting as that person, like, you know, somebody who might say, that's an ugly shirt, or, you know, I don't, I don't like spending time with you, or, or, you know, uh, boy, you know, it'd be great for you and I to, to uh, uh, kiss in the corner right now. That's what I feel like, you know, certainly not politically correct. And this ended up being like a wild, fun, enthusiastic party in which energy was just brimming over. Now, in polite society, you can't do that necessarily because people can get offended and have feelings, rightfully so. But creating a safe container showed me that there's so much of ourselves that we are used to uh, suppressing and all that suppressing creates a mechanical behavior that is really distant vibrationally from awakening and aliveness. That's right. And as your, um, uh, as your workshop showed, how much energy is taken up into controlling our natural selves and natural impulses. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look at somebody like Jesus who got really angry at the money changers in the temple. You know, he didn't say, Hey guys, you know, you might, I feel really bad about this. And I, you know, he, he threw over the tables. And I, I wasn't there, unfortunately. So I don't know exactly <laughs> what he did, but it sounded like it was not, um, pretty or nice or, uh, politically correct, and that that sh gives us some model that, you know, realness, even at the highest levels of spirituality, is still a good thing. Yes, and it, one thing that that story shows is that that was simply human. That was, mm -hmm. you know, anger is a human emotion, and, um, and it, it arises. Uh, and, um, it's real and it's here and it's present. And we're not, 
bad people just because of it. And sometimes it's effective to um, express it when necessary. It's tricky to know the best way to express it because when we, when we really practice what it's like to walk in other people's shoes, what it's like to look out through other people's eyes and realize that everybody in the world is really doing the best they can and even the very worst behavior is simply a totally ineffective and inappropriate method to get love, which is the desire of every human being. When we look at it that way, and when we really go deep into that, then we can relax a little bit our protection against saying and doing the wrong thing. But they have to go hand in hand. It can't just be, well, I'm going to be authentic and I'm going to say whatever I think and feel, no matter who it hurts. You have to temper that with what must it be like for another person to hear this? If I say something, will it be harmful? Will they be hurt? Am I misunderstanding their intentions? Or am I not sensitive to what it's really like to be them? So this is, you know, like your two-wing analogy. We have to have both of those. Yeah, really, so many things come back to that yin-yang uh, two-wing analogy that if you if you develop too much this wing of spirituality, you know, you see that sometimes in new age circles, you know, the incense, the nice clothes, the sweet talking, and, you know, that can be nice, but it can also make you want to vomit after a while when it feels false. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then there's the people who are too human. Uh, I use the word human in a, a kind of a coarse way, like, you know, just not caring what other people think or feel, being inconsiderate, uh, being unaware. And I think that being human in a real human way is a very spiritual thing. I like Brene Brown's stuff, you know, where she talks about vulnerability, that that is as important a path to spirituality and awakening as is knowing yourself as awareness and that those two wings have to be there in relative balance or something starts to smell bad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We do really need both. We need sensitivity. We need openness to our own vulnerability. We need psychological wisdom. And mm -hmm. we need deep self-inquiry into the true nature of our being. I think that we need both to be really balanced. And traditionally, in many of the of the the older non-dual teachings, one of them is ignored, and uh, and then there's a whole other um, uh, psychological world where 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 the spiritual side is ignored, and. Mm -hmm. um, and the middle way, I think, may be the best, even though my heart always goes with the self-inquiry, true nature, awareness way, as opposed to the fixing what's psychologically wrong with me way. But I may be, uh, I may be imbalanced on that side. Well, I don't think it's really about fixing. I think it's about allowing yourself to really say 
what you're feeling and wanting in a moment. It really comes down to that. You know, in this relationship that I'm, um, uh, uh, situation, which I'm finding a lot of uh, challenges in currently, they, they really arose because I, I kind of dug a hole where I wasn't saying so clearly what I was feeling and wanting. Yes. And now I'm having to dig myself out of that hole by saying, uh, this is what I'm feeling and wanting and being more human rather than, you know, they had kind of put me on a pedestal and I like being on a pedestal. Oh no, whatever you want, you know, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, until it wasn't. Right. Sure. There's a big danger in that, but there's also a bravery in doing the opposite in, in saying what you feel and what, what you want and what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I do counseling with couples or individuals, I, I say the way to be human, the shorthand version is to vulnerably say what you're feeling and what you're wanting, because those are the two things that are like most present to us. And, um, and to say what your needs are, you know, when, uh, certain types of, of, um, modalities, especially one called nonviolent communication or compassionate communication. It's all about, we have these needs for respect or to be liked or to be appreciated or to be part of a group or community. And all these, we're trying to always satisfy these needs, but very few of us are saying those things directly. Like, gee, I really need you to hear me now, or I really need um, some touch now, or I really need you to appreciate how hard I've been working at this, or whatever it is, that that's always going on. And if we're not aware of that, or even mentioning that, then we're kind of using our awareness to avoid our humanity rather than to go deeper into it. That's right. And that's not what it's all about. It's not about avoiding our humanity. As a matter of fact, I would say almost more important than simply saying how you feel is asking yourself, what are my strategies that I'm using to not have this feeling? Yeah. And that's another way we do things to avoid truly being human and free. Yes. And we spend a lot of time with these strategies. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> we, we only have so much time, energy, and effort. So if we're spending 90% of it using very indirect strategies to hide what's really going on, that's not good. <laughs> that's absolutely right. And most of us uh, spend the bulk of our lives or at least the bulk of our energy in in that in that activity in those strategies to not have our feelings and and uh then when we when we start to drop those and we start to say okay just for just for now just for the moment just for the next 5 minutes 1 minute can i not do anything to prevent what's happening right now even if you only do that a few times a day gradually more and more, it will start to color your whole experience. Definitely. 
you know, many years ago, I read a book called Don't Be Nice, Be Real. And, um, and he talks about all these things that we've been talking about. At some point during the book, he, uh, he demonstrates what this is like. And he says, so, so why am I writing this book? Well, the reason that you might think is because I want to help people and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But really, I like to be in a position where people are looking up to me and I'm the, uh, I'm the kind of guru. Also, I could really use the money. And, um, I like to think myself as, uh, kind of better than other people. And this helps me to feel really important. And you buying the book and saying what a wonderful book it is really reinforces a part of my ego that thinks that I am, uh, a good guy and better than people and I'm kind when really uh, those are not the motivating factors that had me write this book. <laughs> and I thought, thank you. You know, any politician, if asked, why are you running for a president? If he could say, well, really, I like to feel powerful and important. And that's why I'm running. I'd vote for that person immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so, I mean, I, I I agree it would be really refreshing, although I, I, I'm not so sure I would vote for them. I, um, I do think that there are politicians who really want to help. But what you just described is very, very human. And, and people who are authors, gurus, teachers, um, self-help specialists often deny that part of themselves. However, it's not either or. I mean, yeah. you can, you can want people to look up to you and want to sell more books and you can want to help people. Absolutely. You know, in the group that I was in for 25 years, we had a technique where basically somebody would say, well, why are you doing that or saying that? And the rule was that you would first look for the dirtiest motivation. Not that that was the only motivation or the right motivation. But once you said, well, I'm doing that because I want to impress you. And, and this is a sneaky way for you to think I'm better than I am. Once you said something like that, then you could say the other motivations, but at least you, you were acknowledging that that was probably in there at some point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that made it you feel free and like you're on a firm foundation because if you denied that, then the whole conversation or the whole thing that you're doing have kind of like a faulty foundation to it. And I try to do that now. Why am I doing this? What's the dirty reason? Knowing that there's other reasons as well. And I kind of encourage people to do this in little ways either ask themselves what might be the, the, the shadowy reason for this action or, or what I'm saying, or to let a little bit of that out in a safe container. And I've done this with just friends where I say, hey, you know, are we okay letting go of some of our shoulds just for an hour to see what happens? Mm-hmm. Then we let out a little bit more of what we're thinking and feeling just to see what happens. And if at the end of the hour, we hate each other and we never want to spend time with each other, then maybe we won't do this again. But I've done this with certain friends and it's been a lot of fun and it's been really um, 
brings up like compassion for the human condition and seeing just how much we are kind of not letting the shadow side out and and how it prevents us from seeing stuff that might be valuable to see. Well, that's really great because seeing that in yourself and at the same time seeing that in others can reinforce our feeling of how similar we all are underneath the surface, how we all are needy, how we all want love, how we all want acceptance. It's it's human, it's basic, and practically everything everyone does, when you really boil it down to the to the very bottom line motive, it is in a sense selfish. It's just whether it's effective enough, uh, effective or not. For instance, I want to live in a world where people are kind to each other, are and. Uh, and uh, live in peace. And so I'm going to behave in a way that I think fosters that. But the reason I'm doing it is so that I can feel happy and comfortable. I mean, the yeah. bottom line reason is that I want to be happy in life. Um, it just happens that I, I also understand that other people's happiness <laughs> is key to making that happen. It, and so it's not true altruism. And of course, this is a philosophical point that can be argued, and 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 I don't mind if you disagree with that. But our motives are based on our own desire for love and safety. Yeah. And until you are free of needs, that's always the case. And uh, I'm not there yet, and uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna step out on a limb, Brian, and say that you're not there yet either. I, I hope that would, doesn't offend you. It does not offend me in the least. I would go out on a further limb and say, I don't think anyone has no needs. I don't think anyone is free of needs. Um, yeah. No matter what they say, perhaps there's some, you know, extremely enlightened people who sit in the cave and let the vermin eat their flesh and do nothing about it, which we've heard stories about. But this, to me, doesn't seem human. That's, you know, I think I think we all are needy. We all have needs. And we're all capable of seeing those needs, asking that they be met, and hearing other people's needs and helping them meet them. And that's really the two sides of it. Yeah, absolutely. They both can happen. It's not just my needs and can they be met, but my needs are met more easily. My real underlying needs are met more easily when other people's needs are also met. It's it's all, we, we're not actually separate it's all one system that interacts it's like it's like the universe is a living one living organism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and part of the human journey is to see that to express it to hear it from others and to realize that we are also something beyond all that uh yeah. something connected to all that is and that and being connected to all that is on occasion and feeling that actually makes it a little bit easier to dive into some of these vulnerable places because you know that you although you might have this or that need or feel this vulnerability 
that there's a part of you that's also transcends that. And in that way, they are like two wings of a plane that if you have both those things going, you can really soar. That's right. That's right. And the part of you that does transcend that, it's good to know that it's already here and that it is love itself. It is unconditionally loving because it's like a clear mirror. Everything that appears in awareness just simply appears choicelessly. And so when we have trouble allowing things, when we have trouble allowing our emotions, or when we have trouble allowing the behavior of others, or when we judge ourselves and others, we can know that there's a part of us that is already free from judgment. So it takes the pressure off us. We just, you just connect with that. You look inside and say, huh, what's already there that's never changed since I was a little kid that's already allowing? And you let, you let that do the work. You just mm-hmm, connect mm-hmm. with it. You notice it. And, and it's, it makes it easier for the, the, what I call the little me to deal with life when it's connected to the big I in the background, which is universal awareness. Mm-hmm. And that's why endarkenment can actually be a path to freedom, because part of endarkenment is you're allowing you're, you're, you're taking off this sense of, no, it shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't do that. I, it's guilty. It's bad. It's wrong. All these things that really constrict that sense of allowing. And, and so taking off some of those shackles and seeing that that's okay. That's who, that's what's up now is actually moves you in the direction of awakening for some people. Because it is in the direction of allowing and unconditionally accepting. And that's where I think this all gets tied in together. Yeah, I think you're right. That should and shouldn't are compartments in the mind. They're not actually facets of reality. Yeah, my dog does not necessarily should and shouldn't me all day. You know, uh, he just, you know, loves me. And if, he wants to do something, uh, he does it. He doesn't think, oh, I should feel guilty that I'm eating this bone or something. You know, that's not how, how animals work. <laughs> um, so I challenge our listeners to, you know, explore some of these things in little ways, saying what you're thinking, saying what you're feeling, maybe forming a connection with someone that creates a safe container for that. And let us know how it goes. We love your emails. We love your Patreon support where you get a bunch of free stuff from us at patreon.com slash awareness explorers. And uh, we love hearing from you. And, and, you know, we do this partly because uh, we're selfish and, <laughs> and, like, and like it and partly because we learn stuff in the process and we enjoy the feedback. Uh, any last words before we do a meditation on endarkenment? I'm looking forward to the meditation, but I want to add to what you just said. One of the reasons we do this is selfish. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah and I just hope it's also fun for other people. And like when you're having fun and other people are having fun at the same time, then I don't care whether the motive is selfish or not. It's joyful. And to me, this is what life is all about. Absolutely. So to help you move towards that 
greater joy and letting go of some of those shackles. Let's explore a meditation, which I call endarkenment. So get yourself ready by doing whatever you need to do to settle in. You can do this with your eyes open or closed, whatever serves you. But I'd like you to contemplate this question. And the question is, if I had no fear or inhibitions, how might I be different? And I'd like you to take that into specific areas of life. So consider first a relationship with someone. Could be a lover, a child, a coworker, but just choose one person for now. And think of the times that you spend with them. And then think, if I had no fear or inhibition in how I relate to this person, how might that look different? Is there something that you would say to them about what you're wanting or appreciating or feeling? or perhaps needing, that has not been expressed. Can you imagine being totally honest with what you're feeling and wanting, and then being totally honest what they're thinking, feeling, and wanting, and imagining that that brings more aliveness to this relationship. And notice how that feels in your body as you imagine that. And once again, if you had no fear or inhibitions in regard to, say, the areas of money or work, how might you behave differently? Would you work less? Would you spend money on different things? Or would you just feel freer of worry and other obstacles that come up in those areas? And lastly, I want you to think of some part of you, some separate personality like the critic or the achiever or the lover or the person who sometimes gets angry or whatever, any part of you that you've had a hard time accepting. 
and just come up with a simple label for that part. A part of you that may be needy or self-critical or something else that you've had a hard time fully accepting, acknowledging, and allowing. As best you can, allow yourself to accept and love that part, just as it is. When we try to push away or deny such parts of ourselves, it just causes us trouble in the end. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say the first step is admitting you're an alcoholic. Yeah, okay. Maybe you're a duaholic. Maybe you're a rageaholic. Maybe you're a blameaholic. Maybe you're a complainaholic. That's one part of you. Could you allow? accept, and even love that part. Recognize that that's just part of your humanness. And by allowing that part to be as it is and acknowledging it, it helps it to relax, to perhaps be less problematic in your life. And when you can feel love for these, quote, and darkened part, these shadow parts of ourselves in yourself or others, that opens up a greater spaciousness. And finally, think of a part in somebody else that you don't like. Once again, friend, lover, coworker, doesn't matter. And as you get in touch with that dislike or resistance, perhaps you can think to yourself in a compassionate way. It must be hard being them with that behavior or that part. It must be hard being them with that behavior, or aspect to their personality, and to feel compassion for them as well. You're not denying that they're screwed up. You're feeling compassion because they are screwed up. And with that sense of heartfelt compassion for yourself and others, towards all these shadow sides, you can relax 
more easily with what is. Allow what is. Which is the first step in allowing awareness to fully blossom. And as you take some time now to very slowly come back to the room, come back to this moment, and slowly at your own timing, begin to open your eyes, allowing everything to be as it is, as a first step towards a life of joy, peace, and awareness. Mm, lovely. So, I really felt transported and enlightened through enlightenment during that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> The Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> I enjoyed that meditation very, very much. Good. And I hope that people um, become aware of this distinction and allow themselves to kind of play with it in a fun way and see if they can allow more of themselves out in a way that is fully accepting and does not at the same time in cringe on other people's experience as well. Yep. And the other thing I would say is this is one way to explore. Explore whatever feels right to you. Please tell people about the podcast if you like it and enjoy it. And till next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.